I want to turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis 49, and we want to read at verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor, be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Now, if you will, turn back to Genesis chapter 34. And we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that in all the pages of this book, in all of the scriptures, we can see the things concerning himself. We can see the message of the gospel, the message that has the power to save our souls, to give us life. We pray that you would speak to our hearts today from your word. Teach us the things that we need to be taught we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we want to think again about the events here in Genesis chapter 34. We've come here because we're looking in Genesis 49, as we just read, looking at Israel's final words to his sons, in this case, Simeon and Levi. They're words that are prophetic because they tell us what will befall his sons in the last days. And because those who are saved today are Abraham's seed, and because Israel's words here are part of the things that were written aforetime, that were written for our learning, they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come, then these words do have a direct application to us as we live in the last days. Here in Genesis 34, as we noted last week, we learn the reason for the sharpness and for the rebuke in Israel's words that we just read to his sons Simeon and Levi. As we've considered these verses, we have learned that Jacob and his family are living a mixed life. We've talked about the last three verses of chapter 33. They have their tent and their altar. They have their tent that speaks to us of the pilgrim character of the believer. That speaks to us of the, the desire of the Lord Jesus. 
that he expressed in his prayer to his father for us in John chapter 17. He said in verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. The Lord's prayer is that even though we are in the world, his prayer is that we would not be of the world. Jacob and his family have their tent. They have their altar that speaks to us of the place of sacrifice, the cross of Calvary. And that place for believers is where we're to be crucified with Christ. It's where believers are to be crucified to the world and the world is to be crucified to them. But the problem here is that with Jacob's tent and his altar, he has it all in front of the city. It speaks to us of worldliness, the city that speaks to us of man's thoughts and man's philosophy. And what we see, particularly in the life of Dinah, the only daughter in the family, is that Dinah is not winning the daughters of the land to the tent and the altar. She's not winning anybody to the tent and the altar. What's happened is that she is being won to the way and the philosophy of the city. This will always be what happens when we try to take our tent and our altar and combine it with the city. That's new evangelicalism, folks, in a nutshell. And it will never work. Compromise will never end in victory for the believer. It'll always end in defeat. We see something of the philosophy of the city in Shechem's actions in verse 2. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. And his soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the damsel and spake kindly unto the damsel. And Shechem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. The philosophy of the city of Shalem the philosophy of the city of this world that we live in today is if you see something that you want, if you see something that pleases you, then take it. You're entitled to it because you're entitled to be happy. That's the whole goal of life. Now, there's something in these verses, an order, that I believe the Lord would have us to think about. In verse 2, Shechem saw Dinah, and he took Dinah, and he lay with Dinah, and he defiled Dinah. And then in verse 3, we read that Shechem's soul clave unto Dinah, and he loved the damsel, and spake kindly unto the damsel. And then in verse 4, Shechem spake unto his father, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. There's an order here. An order. In verse 2, Shechem satisfied the lust of his flesh and the lust of his eyes. And then, when his eyes and his flesh had been satisfied, then his soul clave unto Dinah. Then he loved the damsel. Then he spake kindly unto her. Then he wants his father to get her to be his wife. The order in Shechem's life is sexual relations first, marriage second. 
self-gratification and the fulfilling of his lust and his desires first, pleasing himself first, and then would come marriage. To show you how up-to-date this passage is and how relative it is to us today. Shechem and Dinah end up cohabitating while the marriage negotiations are taking place. We know that because of what we read in verse 26, where Simeon and Levi take Dinah out of Shechem's house. This is the mindset of the last days, just as Israel prophesied. A Pew Research Center study it was called the National Survey of Family Growth. It showed that overall 69% of adults say that it is acceptable for an unmarried couple to live together even if they don't plan to get married. And here's the disturbed, that's disturbing enough. But here's something that's even more disturbing. 78% of those between the ages of 18 and 29, they say that it's acceptable for an unmarried couple to live together, even if they don't plan to get married. In this order, we see the, the, the world's definition of, the, of love. To the world, to the natural man, love is a physical relationship. That's the basis for it. It's a relationship whose purpose is to make self happy. A relationship whose purpose is to fulfill self's desires. The order here is completely opposed to and it's completely in rebellion against God's order. God's order is marriage first, then comes the physical, the, the sexual relationship. Turn back for just a minute to Genesis chapter 2, if you will. Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 18, first of all. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmate for him. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is a scripture that we come to from time to time. And we come because it's one of tremendous importance. Genesis is the book of beginnings. Genesis is the book of firsts, of first things. And first things here in the Word of God are very important because they establish God's patterns. They establish God's standards for all of mankind. We've just read about one of these firsts. We've just read about one of these patterns that God established. 
one of these standards that is here for all of mankind. What we have here is God establishing and defining marriage. And he establishes marriage and he defines it here as the union of one man and one woman. God did not take a rib from Adam's side and make another man and bring that man to Adam to be his partner or his significant other. No, the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, a female, and brought her unto the man. This is what marriage is. It's the union of a man and a woman. It's the union of a man and a woman coming together to be one flesh. Now look at Genesis chapter 4, over a page, and verse 1. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she, bare, she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Here we have the first family. And this first family, the, the one that establishes and defines what a family is for all time. The first family is made up of a husband, a male, and a wife, a female. And the children that come forth from the union of this man and woman. And right here we learn, in the beginning, one of the reasons for marriage. Marriage was established by God for the procreation of the human race, for children to be brought into the world and to be brought up in the fear and in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. Marriage was established by God so that mankind can continue. Two men cannot be joined in marriage. Two women cannot be joined in marriage. Two men and two women, two homosexuals, can never produce children. Never. The whole relationship violates the pattern that God established. It violates the order. It, it, it violates the standard that God set in the beginning for all of mankind. And it has, for 6,000 years nearly, it has been the very building block of every nation in this world. And it doesn't matter what the Supreme Court said in 2015 when it legalized same-sex marriage. It doesn't matter what the Congress passed and Joe Biden signed into law in 2022, you remember that is deceptively called the Respect for Marriage Act. It had no trouble passing in the House because the Democrats were in control of the House. They were in control of the Senate, but they didn't have enough votes to pass that without some help from the Republicans. And I don't want you and me to ever forget that one of those Republicans is Senator Tom Tillis. And I don't know what his future political plans are, folks, but we must not forget that. 
for whatever office he runs for. God's definition of marriage will never change. Doesn't matter how many children homosexual couples adopt, what a mistake was made to give that immoral, abominable relationship, to give it at least the exterior of normalcy by allowing homosexuals to adopt children. That will never be a family, not as God established it. God put children in the first home with a mother and a father, and that's the pattern that he's established for the raising of children. This country is suffering, not just because of the homosexuals, but because of broken homes in this country. Homes where so many of them, the government has taken the place of the father. And the homes are in shambles. And our country, the crime in the streets. Look at the pictures of some of the young people who are being arrested. Not for jaywalking, for murder. For murder. This is a pattern that we've not continued in the Word of God. We've been talking about that on Sunday night. And we're paying the price for it. That's why it's necessary to bring these things up. To remind us to continue in the Word of God so that we'll know the truth, so that we can stand up against the lies that are being told in this nation. Now, this isn't the reason we've come to these verses. But it's important to be reminded of these things. The reason we have come here is to see another pattern. Another order that God established here in the beginning. Notice the the detail of the wording in verse 1. And Adam knew Eve his wife. This is the first mention of sexual relations in the Bible. And those intimate relations took place between a husband and a wife. They didn't take place between two men or two women. They took place between a husband and a wife within the marriage relationship. That's God's order. Marriage comes first, then comes the physical relationship. And notice, if you will, the word knew. And Adam knew Eve, his wife. This word knew, as we have noted before, is God's, it's his tasteful and beautiful and graceful way of describing the first intimate relations between the first husband and wife. And this word knew that describes the first intimate relations uh, in Genesis chapter 4. It stands in stark contrast to what we read in Genesis 34. Remember, if you'll turn back there to Genesis chapter 34 and verse 2. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. Notice how God describes what took place between Shechem and Dinah. God says that Shechem lay with her. He says Adam knew his wife. But Shechem lay with Dinah. Is there a difference? Is there a difference in that wording? I believe there is. 
In almost every case in the Old Testament, the words lay with or lie with are used to describe an immoral relationship. Look back just for a minute if you like. We're going to look at a few passages if you want to, to turn back to them to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 30. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar. And he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. The younger did it the first night. I mean, the, uh, the oldest, the firstborn did this the first night, the youngest the next night. This is the first time that we find these words, lie with, being used. They're being used to describe a sexual relationship that is immoral, the sin of incest. They're describing the sin and the wickedness of Lot's daughters having a sexual relationship with their father. And God describes it with those words, lie with. Look at Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35. And look at verse 22. We've talked about Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and what he did. Look at verse 22. And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bela, his father's concubine. And Israel heard it. How did Israel, what did he say of Reuben, his firstborn? He said in Genesis 49 and verse 4 that Reuben, unstable as water, thou shalt not excel because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defiledest thou it. Israel tells Reuben that his act of lying with Bela defiled his bed. It polluted and dishonored his father's bed. In Genesis 39, if you want to turn over there. In Genesis 39, Joseph has been sold into Egypt. And he finds himself in Potiphar's house. And notice what we read in Genesis 39 and verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wanteth not what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept any back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? 
Notice Joseph's words in verse 9. Joseph describes Potiphar's, uh, his wife's advances. He describes Potiphar's wife's attempt to get him to lie with her as great wickedness, as sin against God. Adam knew Eve, his wife, but Shechem lay with Dinah. We won't take time to turn to it. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we read about David's sin with Bathsheba. And listen to the Spirit of God's description of what took place. 2 Samuel 11 and verse 4, And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her. Is there a difference in that wording? I believe there is. In almost every case in the Old Testament, the words lay with or lie with are used to describe a sexual relationship that's against the law of God. Adam knew Eve, his wife. But Shechem lay with Dinah. There is a difference in that wording. From the first time that we find those words because they're used to describe what Joseph said as great wickedness. Great wickedness and sin against God. I don't believe it's any accident that the Spirit of God uses the word new to describe the first intimate relations in all of human history. Relations, intimate relations that took place between a husband and a wife. There's a, a modesty about that word new. There's an innocence about that word new. It's such an appropriate word because there is within the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman, a relationship, a closeness that can only be known by a husband and a wife. That word describes something that is pure and right and good as ordained by God. Those words in Genesis 4.1, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, bring to mind Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all. That word honorable is an important word. It means precious. It means held in honor. It means esteemed. It means especially dear. Now, why would God describe marriage that way? It's because marriage is a picture of salvation. The marriage of Adam and Eve is the first presentation of the gospel. It's the first presentation of the cross of Calvary in the Word of God. That's how important it is. At the first marriage, God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he opened up his side. And from that open side, God brought forth life. He brought forth a bride for Adam. On the cross of Calvary, the Lord did the same thing. God caused a deep sleep, the sleep of death, to fall upon the last Adam, the Lord from heaven, His only begotten Son. And after the Lord Jesus had cried, it is finished, 
after he had laid down his life as the one sacrifice for sins forever, the soldiers came. Those soldiers were the physical, visible, human agents. But I believe that the eternal God, the one who opened the side of the first Adam and brought forth life at that first marriage in the Garden of Eden, I believe that same God opened the side of the last Adam on the cross of Calvary and brought forth life. John 19.34 describes it. And forthwith came there out blood and water. A fountain opened for sin and for uncleanness. And we sing that song. And oh, how we love it. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And when by faith we come to the Lord Jesus, we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. We're joined to Him in marriage. We become His bride, His wife, members of His body, of His flesh, of His bones. That's why God says marriage is honorable. That's why He says that marriage is precious and held in honor and esteemed and especially dear. Dear to the heart of God because it, it brings before his mind the moment, the moment that the precious blood of his son was shed on the cross of Calvary. It's precious to God because it, it preaches the message of salvation. Have you been washed in the blood of the lamb? That's the question this morning. Have you been joined to the Lord Jesus in marriage? Have you received His life that flows from His side? Have you been washed in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? You can be today. That's the wonderful news of the gospel. You can be right where you are. If you'll humble your heart and come by faith to the cross of Calvary, and you take your place as a sinner, and you repent of your sin, and you trust the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone to be your Savior. And He'll take you, and He'll wash you from His sins in His own blood. And He will join you to Him for all eternity. All eternity. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. No man can pluck them out of my hand. This marriage relationship between a seeking Savior and a seeking sinner is an eternal relationship. That's why Satan has unleashed the very forces of hell against marriage and taken it and defiled it in rebellion and blasphemy against the God of heaven. Adam knew Eve, his wife. Marriage is honorable in all. And the bed undefiled, that word undefiled is a further definition of the word new in Genesis 4.1. The marriage bed is undefiled. It's unsoiled. It's free from the sin that deforms and debases the beds of those who lie in their own lust and desires, like Shechem and Dinah. 
Genesis 34, 2, you can, you can write the whole verse of Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Genesis 34, 2, we're reading about a defiled bed. And so, in fact, we saw that very word in that verse. What a contrast. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. Adam knew Eve, his wife, in the bonds of marriage, and she conceived. What a happy, what a, a, a joyous, what a blessed result. Contrast that with what we have in, in Genesis 34 and verse 2. Shechem took Dinah and lay with her and defiled her. Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Shechem lay with Dinah and she was defiled. Young people, listen to me. Sexual relations outside the bonds of marriage will always defile. Here are two relationships. Two couples, one with the order right in their life. First they were married, then they knew each other. The other couple with the order wrong in their lives. Shechem lay with Dinah and defiled her, and then his soul claved to her, and then he loved her, and then he spake kindly to her, and then he wanted his father to get her to be his wife. That's the wrong order. It's the order of the world that appeals to the flesh that satisfies the ego, and that order is a recipe for destruction and disaster. Young people, which order are you going to follow? The right order begins with marriage. First, marriage to the Lord Jesus Christ. The right order begins with salvation. Are you saved today, young person? You can be. Right now, you, you can humble your heart and you can turn away from sin. You can turn away from self and you can turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and you can ask Him to save your soul, and He will. If we're saved this morning, there's an application of this contrast that we ought to think about. An application between knowing and lying with. It applies to us. Paul wrote something in Philippians 3.10. He said that I may know him. That I may know him. That was the desire of Paul's heart. It was the desire of his heart 30 years after he was saved. How do we know the Lord? after we're saved. We know Him through intimate relations with Him. We know Him through communing and fellowshipping with Him in His Word, in prayer, privately and publicly. And, and the purpose of this intimate relationship with our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, is that He might be formed in us. That He might be formed in us. That we might be conformed to His image. So that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. 
so that when people see us, what strikes their vision is not Him, but us. So that the evidence of His life in us is the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and goodness and meekness and faith and temperance, all of these things. Do we know our husband? We're saved today. Do we have an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are we lying with and being defiled by the world and all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life that is not of the Father but is of the world? You know, one of the real challenges and problems, I guess, in the Christian life is priorities. Priorities. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So where's our priority today, Christian? On that which is temporary, on that which passes away, or on that which is eternal? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you how it for how it pierces our hearts. We thank you for how it exposes our hearts. We thank you for every opportunity that we have to come together and to meet with you in a meeting like this around your word. It's not what the speaker has to say. It's what your word has to say. And we pray that we would allow that word to convict our hearts today. There are those here who are lost. They would see their need to be joined in marriage to the one who loved them and gave himself for them. And Father, for those who are saved, we pray that we would examine our hearts today. Do we know our husband? Or is there that intimate relationship between ourselves and him? Or are we lying with and being defiled by the world? Help us to think about these things today to the end that it might make a difference in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name.